All right, so we had a few technical difficulties there, so we'll, we'll try again. This is all part, welcome to All Politics with Jack Spillane. This is a podcast that the Standard Times uh, has been doing. This is the second one we've done, and it's election season. So we're going to do a mayoral debate between incumbent mayor John Mitchell and challenger police officer Charlie Perry. This is going to be a traditional debate format uh, agreed to by the candidates. I'll ask the questions. Each candidate will have three minutes to answer, and the other candidate will answer for three minutes, and then one minute for a final rebuttal. The reason you have that kind of traditional debate format is in case a statement that one of the candidates thinks is false can be addressed, but you only get two chances to do that. So uh, I'll reserve the right to ask follow-up questions, and I'm going to encourage the candidates to refrain from too much personal attack if they can. Uh, each candidate was allowed to have one person present, and uh, Charlie elected to have his campaign manager, John Clark, here. We flipped a coin to see who would go first, and Charlie won the flip, and uh, Mayor Mitchell is going to go first. Thanks to Linda Roy, our camera person, and Andy Tomalonis, the managing editor, for helping me put this together. So we'll start. There's no opening statements, because the guys have made their opening statements in their own individual presentations to the Standard Times, so we'll, we'll get right in. It's been a busy week uh, here with, um, uh, in the news. Um, the uh, discrimination complaint filed by Charlie uh, for, against the Massachusetts Commission Against Discrimination against the uh, police chief uh, for discrimination. So that's where we'll start. Mayor Mitchell, can you comment on the charges in Mr. Perry's MCAD complaint versus Police Chief Cordero, why he did it, what evidence he had, was it connected to his decision to run for mayor, in your opinion? Uh, I'll leave that to him to answer. Uh, my, the comment that I'll offer about that, Jack, is that uh, I have 100% confidence in Joe Cadero as the police chief uh, here in New Bedford. Uh, he was selected by a diverse panel of, of individuals uh, back in 2016 after the untimely death of uh, David Preventure. Uh, he has held virtually every position in the police department and ascended to captain and had has a sterling reputation uh, throughout the community. Uh, he's somebody who, uh, on his own free time, uh, was a member of, uh, a board member of the Women's Center, uh, as well as the Human Relations Commission. And he's made a point throughout his career to be uh, somebody who tries to bring people together. And I think he's very effective at that. And I also think uh, he's very effective at, at crime fighting uh, as well. As a former federal prosecutor, I have I have some ex relevant experience in this way. I've worked with police chiefs uh, all across Massachusetts and across the country, and I have—I think I'd like to think I have a pretty good sense of which ones are effective and which ones aren't. And Joe Cadero is a very effective police chief whose strategy is focusing on community policing, and, and it's being implemented now. Uh, I believe it will have great effect in those neighborhoods in our city that have continued to struggle. Not every neighborhood in our city has seen a decline uh, in crime. If you look at places, especially in the near north end, they still have a ways to go. Uh, but we've made uh, leadership changes in the north end, which I think will bear fruit. Uh, now that Amos Mellow is in place uh, in the north end, I think you're going to see a higher level of energy and intensity of police activity that will bear fruit. I think the cameras are being reworked uh, all throughout that part of the city uh, on a new system. I think it's going to be really effective. Uh, so that's what I would say. Uh, I, I believe in the chief, and I think he's uh, he's doing a great job. And as time goes on, people will see uh, the fruits of his leadership. Having said that, there seems like there might be some morale problems in the police department. That is, that, 
any accountability for that with your administration or, or the police chief's administration? Uh, no, look, the chief, uh, I find the chief to, uh, to hold, uh, to maintain high standards of professionalism. And that's what I expect. You know, I, I let, and this was true of David Preventure as well, I let the police chief run the department. There are th a few things that I expect. I expect that we maintain high levels of professionalism. I, I expect that we, the police chief, uh, work well with the community. And I believe that the police chief should be engaged in long-term planning so that we're not just reacting uh, in the moment to crime and to uh, threats to public safety, but all but thinking long-term about how threats evolve and how we can keep up, and that's exactly what he's doing. All right, same question, uh, Charlie Perry. Can you comment on your charges in the MCAT complaint versus Chief uh, Joe Cordero, why you did it, what evidence you have of such serious charges, and was it connected to your decision to run for mayor? Before I selected to become mayor, the case was already filed, and uh, and that process is still ongoing. It's under appeal, and the case will be heard. Um, and that's the only comment I have on it, really, um, other than you know everything that Mayor Mitchell had talked about, um, Chief Cadero. I've also done that myself throughout the city, throughout the county, and um, I am a constant professional. I try to maintain that throughout my career. But the whole process is under appeal. It will be heard. And that's the only comment I have on it right now. Okay. It sounds like um, there are some morale problems uh, in the police department. Uh, can you comment on them, uh, separate from your, your uh, MK complaint? In my opinion, it's, it's the lowest it's been in 30 years. Um, some people are happy where they are different titles, different positions they hold, so they're not going to ruffle any feathers. Um, but the morale of the police department is low. I experienced quite a few chiefs, quite a few mayors, and uh, and not to discredit any, any administrator other than the person in charge of the police department. Um, I have heard Mayor Mitchell say this over the years, that uh, he does let the department heads manage. That's true. It's a true statement. Um, and with Chief Cadero managing the situation, the morale is low. Did you want to say specifically what, what about the uh, management that, that is bothering some people? Well, in order to, in order to lead, uh, and, and you, you, can, you can be a leader, um, but you have to earn the respect. I don't think he's earned that respect amongst the ranks. I'm surprised because he's been a popular officer around town for many years. Okay. Yes, I can agree. Yes. Um, but that's what we talk about in the rooms, in the break rooms, before, after work, and uh, it's the truth. So I have to say what I feel and also say what, what is actually out there. So. Okay. Mayor Mitchell, would you like to have uh, another minute to rebut anything? Uh, no, look, I mean, I, I think the way to, uh, to deal with morale problems is bring them straight uh, to, to leadership to, to uh, work, work out those problems with the chief. And I think that's, uh, that's the way to handle um, matters, uh, especially in police departments where folks have to, uh, have to work very closely with one another, sometimes under dangerous circumstances. Uh, that's, that's my expectation of the chief, and I believe that's, that's what he's doing. And, I, and I, there are a lot of folks in this community who um, have known uh, Joe Cadero much longer than I, and they will say the same thing about him. He's someone of sterling character and, and cares deeply about 
uh, the uh, welfare of our city, and that's and I wouldn't have it any other way. I wouldn't pick a police. I wouldn't have named him police chief if I saw it any other way. All right. So I'm going to ask one more question about this MCAT case because it has been such big news this week, and now we're going to go on to other questions. I'm not going to spend the whole debate on it. I do feel like I have to bring up the, the actual charges that were made, and those were uh, racial prejudice and sexism in the, in the uh, chief. Uh, uh, so this question goes to you first, Charlie. Uh, do, you, do you really think no one should be able to quote Teddy, Re Teddy Roosevelt, who is recognized by many as a great American president, because of racist attitudes of his time? What would you say to people who think that the whole charge was a pretext for the union addressing issues with the manager of the department, but that it wasn't really Teddy Roosevelt? And why is this chief having such a difficult time in his relations on uh, uh, racial prejudice? Uh, that, that's a, a very serious charge to make, um, uh, as well as the charges about uh, sexual harassment uh, uh, to make. So, you know. Talk about uh, Teddy Roosevelt, because it was kind of an innocuous quote, the, the quote from Roosevelt. The quote, you know, I, I don't mind the quote. It's who, who authored the quote. If, uh, if I decided to go into the department email and, and blast off a quote or Adolf Hitler, whether it's true or not, I mean, whether it's true, how would that perception, how would other people feel about that, whether it's Jewish, blacks, anybody? How would they feel, white? How would they feel about it? It'd probably be unacceptable. That would probably be an IA. Teddy Roosevelt is a proven bigot. And over the years, he's, he's a proven bigot that they want to knock down the statue in New York. Millions of people out there during the rallies. Okay. All I'm saying is that when I open my email account, I shouldn't see it, seeing emails coming from the chief from a bigot. It's not something we do, not something that we would talk about in uniform, so why am I reading it? But then he gave a second email from a, a person who I'm not that familiar with, which was also kind of milk toast, and you objected to that email too. So you, you just objected to him sending out quotes in general uh, to, the, to the department? It was sort of like encouragement quotes, things like that. Yeah, I objected to it. It just wasn't sincere, I don't think, and uh, that's the way I objected to it. Can't talk about doing good things or uh, us all doing good things on a daily basis. And actually, you're not doing the, doing good things by the people that you that are working under you. They're upset. I'm upset, and that's why I issued a quote like I did. Um, can I tell you? Practice what you preach. Uh, clearly, Mayor Mitchell Charlie feels very uh, strongly about. Teddy Roosevelt, uh, uh, Teddy Roosevelt's record of, you know, um, talking about the white man's burden and um, talking about the duty of um, uh, white men to go out and civilize uh, third world countries and stuff like that, you know, is something that uh, many people of color would uh, object to. Is, is that something that the chief of police should have been more sensitive to? Well, uh, I've heard a lot of people, including African Americans, quote. Teddy Roosevelt, Jack. Um, I've never perceived him to be a, a racist, um, but uh, I, think, I think there's a bigger point here. And uh, uh, we can debate sort of history and whether people who were in, in, in their own times were, uh, were reflections of the attitudes of their times or, or, or not, and we can certainly have a long hit list 
Uh, I don't think our city should be mired in those kinds of debates. Uh, I, we, we, I pride myself on the fact that I, I have pride in our city, that we are a city that has been extraordinarily tolerant over the years compared to the rest of America. We're far from perfect. We, are not, <laughs> we still have a ways to go when it comes to tolerance and, and uh, inclusiveness. But we do far better than most places, and that may have to do with our Quaker history and the fact that this was a very accepting place on the Underground Railroad and the fact that this was a, a very hospitable spot for the Civil Rights Movement to take, take root. There's a long and esteemed history in New Bedford of tolerance, and I don't want these kinds of debates to undermine that. This is a, one of New Bedford's great strengths is, is the fact that it is a, a place that is accepting of everybody, and we want to keep it that way. Thank you. Final comment on that? Yes. Final comment. One minute. I do. I do agree. New Bedford's about inclusiveness. We we really are. When you look in every city block. It's, it's an abundance of people from all walks of life, and I like that perception about New Bedford. Everyone and everyone talks about the melting pot in this city, and it is a melting pot. It means a lot when you have different cultures, heritages combining, coming together at different different events, you know, whether it's, it's the summer festival, the city festival that we used to have, the folk festival, is all kinds of walks of life. I love the inclusiveness, inclusiveness that New Bedford offers. We are clearly an example of the way America should be. This was a, during the presidential election. It, there was this scuttlebutt, just like we're talking about now, and it, was, it made a nasty election. And I definitely don't want that in this election. All right. Thank you. Uh, on to the next question, and we're back to uh, Mayor Mitchell going first. Um, I would ask you both to uh, try to speak up and project a little bit because these uh, uh, smartphones are great. They made it possible for us to do stuff like this, but the microphones are not that great. Yes, sir. Uh, Mayor Mitchell, you said un unemployment in New Bedford is way down. The statistics uh, verify that. And you have brought the marine terminal for wind turbos, turbines and upgrades to the state theater fruition. Uh, you built the harbor walks and other city parks and schools. Uh, you've said the city's bond rating has increased because of better management of city finances. And you have accomplishments to be proud of. But how much of this is due to your ideas and leadership? And how much of it is you just continuing other projects that other mayors have started, as former mayor Scott Lang has, has said? <laughs> well, uh, let, me, let me say this. So, um, there, there is a need in city government for continuity, and there are times when there are certain projects that are continued uh, from administration to administration, and that makes all the sense in the world. You don't want things to come to a grinding halt um, when, um, uh, when uh, there's a switch in administrations. Um, I, I think you know, we're six years into my administration now. It's, uh, the last administration is pretty far in the rearview mirror at this point, and we are continuing to grow. Uh, the unemployment rates has dropped to 6.1% as of this week, um, and we've had a run of 5,000 jobs since I got into office at a significant growth. I mean, it is comparable to any city in the United States, uh, and when I got into office, it was 13%. So, uh, and we've had uh, we've had tremendous uh, progress on, on a number of fronts. The city, the, the changes in the uh, city's fi uh, financial management are dramatically different from when I got into office. Back then, the city had no chief financial officer, 
no, I was doing no long-term uh, financial planning. It didn't have a capital plan. It really didn't have much of a structure at all. That's completely different. The city's finances have never been better managed in its history, and that's because we brought in expertise and, and responsible management. Um, when it comes to economic development, we've focused on the port in ways that, that haven't existed here, probably at least in the last 50 years. And we'll continue to do that because that port is why this city exists, that's why this entire region exists, and, it will and why it will continue to be, continue to thrive in the long run. Um, we will, uh, when it comes to, um, when it comes to economic development, sure, there has been, uh, there's been a, a rise in uh, the national economy for sure, but uh, I think given the success that we've had and how we compare to other cities, a lot of it has been attributable to the fact that we've invested in infrastructure, we've invested in education, we've pushed very hard to clean up the city and, and take responsibility for the physical condition of it, uh, and because the business community has a, a great deal of confidence in the city's administration. Charlie, it's hard to argue with the mayor that, that New Bedford is said to have had a larger drop in unemployment than any city in America uh, since he's been mayor. Uh, the Route 18 upgrades have been finished, uh, the, the, the uh, new schools have been built, um, the Harbor Walk's a great accomplishment. Um, things may begin in another administration, but you do have to bring them to fruition. Shouldn't he get credit for the development that's taking place in New Bedford? Well, we all got to gotta do something to make things better. The Harbor Walk, the Cove Street, Cove Road Walk, that's all good stuff. That's very good. And we have to take credit, credit for it. Whoever is a brainstorm initially is a brainstorm. You, you want to continue those things to make our city better and beautiful. The waterfront is the key to the city. It's, it's very important, very important to a lot of us, especially people that are working a lot of, along the waterfront. So in, in saying that is that there is, we had to do those projects because they were in place and they had to be completed. They were completed um, and, and they're here now. As far as the unemployment rate, you know, if benefits stop, the unemployment rate stops. The numbers are not going to be too accurate. It's going to stop. It's going to, it's going to have that spike, just like we were talking about previously in other debates. Um, so, but it, it's. I don't think the numbers are. Uh, they're, they're going to be high, but that they're high because there's no more people applying for unemployment benefits. So, with that said, I love the Harbor Walk. I love the waterfront. Um, but we have other parts of the city that we have to start working on, too. All right. Uh, Mayor Mitchell, uh, Charlie's saying that the guy who had the original idea should get uh, some of the credit. For well, that's that's I, probably that's Brian Gomes. That's uh, right. I, 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 uh, we all going to get credit for it. No, that idea's been around for 20 years. And uh, if you're referring to the Harbor Walk, and uh, you know, look, you know, that's too long for a good idea to come to fruition. Uh, and I, and Brian Gomes was somebody a long time ago who, who uh, promoted that idea, and, and uh, it was a good one. And I think uh, the, the success of that Harbor Walk is, 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 uh, is a validation of, of that idea. Um, and I couldn't agree more that we do need to do work all across the city, and that's why, you know, we are. We've either built or are building five brand new public parks in the city, and they're all over the place, uh, like Rivers End Park and Custom House Square right over here, and um, uh, the, the new dog park over by the high school. There's more of that. Uh, we have 
Uh, we've got some great new uh, amenities up at Pine Hill Park in the North End. Uh, we've got uh, we've got work that's uh, that's going to happen at Ashley Park and Hazelwood's had a, a lot of work. The beaches have. So, um, and I, I, I've put a special emphasis on parks and recreational facilities, and not just the Cove Walk and the Harbor Walk, but all of them, because our residents deserve that. We, our residents deserve to have nice public spaces, uh, places where they can take their family and relax and enjoy the fact that they live in New Bedford and be proud of it. That's why we work very hard to clean things up and get rid of graffiti and to build nicely designed spaces. We want people to take pride in our city, and that's why we, we really focus on it. Thank you. So I think I got confused as to who goes next, so I'm going to go back to you going first this time, Charlie. Uh, the mayor says that as many as a thousand new jobs could come from making part of the golf course into an industrial park. You've said the land may be dirty, given that it's next to a former dump. Given that there was only one more developable site at the present industrial park and a few other big sites in the city, where in New Bedford do you think uh, development could bring as many as a thousand jobs. Isn't it worth testing the land and, you know, uh, reconfiguring the golf course? The mayor has said you could still have 18 holes. What what location would you find uh, that could bring a thousand jobs to New Bedford? Well, we have a lot of properties in the city that are, that are underutilized, whether it's the old schools, so on and so forth. Um, we also have some some land in the industrial park that can be used. What I learned, and this is my experience with the Keith Middle School site, we thought it was okay then. We found out that it wasn't okay. So they started digging up Greenwood Street and the streets all around Ruggles and so on and so forth. Someone approved it as being okay. And the end result, it wasn't okay. So we would have to test those lands. Now, for decades we had that dump, and, for the, and the, the dump is there. The soil is going to be moved and pushed around, and it's going to trigger something. It's going to trigger something, and most likely it will be the PCBs. So before we go ahead and tamper with that soil, we need to test it very thoroughly, not by one person, not by one company, by a series of companies. Because we, we allowed one, one company to come in at Keith, and it was contaminated. So. With that being said, we really have to thoroughly look into this before we start digging up soil and putting businesses there because the drinking water is going to be underground. The people in those businesses are going to be drinking water or using waters in those buildings. And chances are we may have a problem. We had a, we had a problem with more cutting tools and people being tested for cancer. And that building's no longer there. And so I don't want that to happen to the people that along Hathaway Road and so on and so forth. They don't want it there. I'm listening to them. Go door to door, I'm listening to them. So how would you weigh, I mean, that is a neighborhood that lives there and their concerns should be paid attention. Or how would you weigh their concerns by the people against the people in the whole city, you know, who could really use a thousand jobs? I mean, we, we talked in the, in, in the in the news media, we talk about Amazon coming here. Guess what? Amazon comes here. It's going to be something similar to like Titleist is. Titleist has been here for decades. There's no one objecting to someone like a company like Titleist coming in here. Um, and I don't think they would object to Amazon coming here because of the jobs. But we have to look at some other situations, some other 
uh, sites. And uh, right now I'm, I'm, I'm questioning the golf course. I think that should be Greenlands like it is. And I am worried about the grounds being lost below the, below the grass. So if the, if the land turns out to be clean, where else could you, you know, and you want to protect those people who live in that neighborhood, where else could you find a place for a thousand jobs in New Bedford? Well, it's real tough. This is a thickly settled city, you know. It's very, it's, it's houses everywhere. It's so thick that, you know, if we have a fire in one house, chances are there's going to be three houses on fire. Everything's pretty close and tight. So, it's um, a good question. And I don't think we have the land in the city to do such a project like that, other than, you know, Industrial Park northbound and have to wait road right now, I, I really have to uh, think about it. Thank you. Commander Mitchell, you've uh, claimed that a thousand jobs come uh, from that, that um, development, but where do you get that number? Because uh, I, you know, this, there is a possibility of some of the land being wet, and I don't know about dirty, uh, it is near a, a dump. Where, where do you get that number of a thousand? Do you have uh, commitments from anybody? <clears throat> that, that number comes from a, a formula that mass development uses when it doesn't, when it when it facilitates the development of industrial land around the state. Mass development, so for people who are not familiar with it, is the Economic Development Agency for the Commonwealth of Massachusetts, and they are involved in this project. Uh, and they've done sites like at the former Fort Devens and uh, up in uh, central Massachusetts, as well as the, uh, the former Weymouth Naval Air Station. These are Sites um, bigger than the golf course site that we're looking at, but they, they use a, they can tell based on the, the amount of square footage you can fit in there how many jobs that would likely support. A thousand is actually a pretty conservative number. So just stepping back a little bit, so you know, so we we looked at the, we're looking at the golf course for the following reasons. One, I believe the taxes are too high in the city, and we have to find ways to expand the tax base. Uh, unfortunately, and Charlie's right, there aren't too many places to look in the city. The city is built out, about a quarter of the city's land mass is in the Cushnet Cedar Swamp, which is a state reservation. We can't touch it. That's, all, that's the area that runs from the airport north to the industrial park. The industrial park has one lot left, which is a good problem to have. We want it to be built out. We want jobs to be in there. But the reality is we run out of land. It's either lot 10 or 11. I, I can't I confuse which one it is, but it's just one. And it's a lot of, I think, about 20 acres or so. It's not that big. So we looked at the golf course because it is uh, prime industrial land. It, is, uh, it sits at the intersection of two highways, 140 and 195. It has a rail spur. It's right next to the airport. And the airport, as folks know, has uh, just got authorization to become a full-fledged commercial airport. Uh, it is, uh, and it's also city-owned. And it has all the uh, underground infrastructure in place. So it, it's, it's very good land. There is no basis to believe that the 100 acres at the very top of the hill is contaminated. Um, it'll be tested uh, eight ways to Sunday. There's not going to be a company that will invest in there until the thing's thoroughly tested. But uh, it, it, that space at the top of the hill, which is the highest point in the city, used to be part of a farm. If you go to Lawrence Greenhouse on Hathaway Road, they actually have pictures of that land. It was all farmland until 195 went through. So it's not contaminated. It's actually fairly as pristine of land there is in the city. 
So uh, what we're trying to do now is to, to figure out whether that's whether it's um, whether it's doable, whether it's you know whether the soil can actually hold the um, the buildings that might be built there. That's the big issue. Is that because it might just wet? No, it has to do with soil conditions and glaciers and stuff that are aren't worth getting into now. But it looks like it's fine. The question really is for the city, and that's just to, again to step back is. You know, look, we, we, we put out ideas like that to move the city ahead. We have to think not just two years down the line or five years. We've got to think 10, 20, 30 years down the line. When we think about how we can do development in the city that works for neighborhoods but also increases the tax base and increases opportunity for people. That's what we're trying to do here. And, and what we might be able to do, I, I haven't said that it's going to be 18 holes. I said we're looking at it. It might end up being 18 holes. But whether it's 18 or 9 holes ultimately, it's going to be a lot better than what's out there now because there will be a revenue stream to help support that golf course and to allow high schools to continue to play, to allow the members to continue to play. That's what we want to do. And by the way, when it comes to the traffic race as an issue, the traffic studies have shown that there is plenty of capacity on Hathaway Road. People will remember businesses like Cinema 140 and Rosie's, which was a really popular restaurant for a while. They're not there anymore, and, and there's a reason why people race up and down uh, that stretch of Hathaway Road because there isn't as much traffic as there used to be because those businesses are gone. The, I could go on for a while about this. Okay, okay. I, I was just going <laughs> to ask, and I'll just have a little privilege to I'll give Charlie extra time to make up for it. Uh, some say that that uh, it's a historic course designed by a, a well-known golf course architect. You know, it, it would be a shame to change it. It is a Donald Ross course, and. Um, and I guess he was a very prominent designer of golf courses back in the 20s. He also designed the Bedford Country Club. The part of the golf course um, that we've looked at for development isn't part of that original nine holes. Okay. So, Charlie, you have a final rebuttal to that. Um, he's saying that the land is not dirty, that it's pristine, and that um, uh, the studies of mass development show that it would bring these many jobs. Uh, take two minutes for this if you want, because I... Okay. Gave him a little extra time. I, I don't want to, I'm not going to discredit that. I mean, he's working on it, he's studying it, he's sitting there and, and behind his desk doing all those things. So I understand that. My concern looking outside, you know, in is that is the, is the contamination and, and making sure that's safe. It's very important to me because I'm, I lived in the South then. And so I know what more is cutting to. Well, no, I lived in the south end, which I'm going to lead to this. I lived in the south end, and I know the damage that most cutting tools have done to that area. So I'm concerned about the western area and Hathaway Road, and what that, what the effect would be if there is contamination on those families and those generations coming up. Um, the road and Hathaway Road. Um, unless there's some kind of a new idea what they're going to do, I find a problem at the top of the hill with the overpass. And there yesteryear, there's another overpass there. Traffic's going to bottleneck when it gets there. Whether it's, so um, that's something else. What's going to happen with that? Is it going to be redone? Is it going to slow up traffic on, on Route 140 and 195? Those are the things that I like to be looked at you know, and, and are my concerns. Um, overpasses are not moving, so unless we decide we are going to move them, so that's going to alter a lot of different areas around that, around Hathaway Road. Thank you, Charlie. Uh, lest anybody complain, I'm never sure whether that's the west end or the north end, that part of town, the west slash north end. Um, may I mention, we'll go, have you go first this time.
uh, you've stressed for the past year that FBI statistics show crime is largely down in New Bedford, but this year we've had a spike with eight murders, including a double murder two weeks ago in a part of the North End that had not previously seen significant violence. What about your administration and police department makes you think that you've gotten control of crime in some of the toughest city neighborhoods? Yeah, it's, uh, so the, the statistics are not comfort to folks who live on Tallman Street, you know, and, and the other day, uh, and a few other parts of the city. Um, and, you know, we can cite the statistics all we want, and they, they may show a good picture overall, but if, it, if the picture doesn't look good in your neighborhood, that's a problem. I, I had the occasion, I've talked to a lot of people on Tallman and North Front and that area um, of, of the city, um, Soria Street, I mean, the whole, that whole part of the near North End. Um, and, you know, there were a lot of people who were hanging in there. I just uh, spoke to a couple the other day who live uh, just off of a cushion and Avenue on Tallman Street, who you know, who've maintained their home in a pristine fashion. They're both from the Azores. They're both very hardworking, and they care a lot about the neighborhood and their homes. And they they told me, look, we need some help here. And I, I told them, you're, you're absolutely right. And I appreciate the fact that they hung in there because nobody would have begrudged them for moving uh, Tallman Street. We've got to we've got to step up. We've got to intensify our efforts for people like that. You know, who have to deal with. You know the problems in that neighborhood. I my goal is to have every city, every part of the city become safe and to feel safe. We want people to be able to go out and walk their dog at night and not have to worry about their own safety, much less their their children's. So you know, as we look at what we need to do in those neighborhoods, I think it starts with uh, the change in leadership in the North End um, precinct. Uh, I think that's that is a good step forward, uh, and we're already seeing. The, uh, uh, the work that's being done uh, in taking a, a very literal approach to community policing. That's what we need. We need police officers who are interacting directly with the public in a sustainable way. It takes a lot of work to, to, to turn a neighborhood like that. Um, we also need, as I alluded to earlier, we need to do more work with cameras because I, I know as someone's been in the courtroom a lot, you can't cross-examine a tape. If we have somebody on tape, we have, if we've videoed them, uh, we know that we've got them. We need more of that in that neighborhood, so we get the bad guys out. And and we also need to more, we need to do more work in developing the data capacity, collection, and analysis capacity of the police department. Police can't be on every corner, but we know that if with with good information, a combination of data and good police intuition, we know that police can be put in the right place at the right time. That's what we're working on. But this is something that we're going to be able to tackle in the long run. And we've had this spike in, in homicides, and, and I think it's what, what pains me the most is the families that have, have had to endure all, all that. But um, we've got the right leadership in, in place now, and we're going to continue to work hard. And it's not good enough for me that some of the city's doing, doing well in terms of public safety. We want all of it to do well. Uh, Charlie, the FBI statistics are based on the city police department's own statistics. Uh, are you saying that the city is not giving accurate statistics to the FBI? And if you look at um, the murders over the last 10 years, you will have some years where they, they go up and some years where they go down, but it's not really a discernible um, pattern of them going you know, straight up. So uh, why would we doubt these FBI statistics? Well, um, first, um, me and I worked in the record room. So I've seen a lot of things. I've seen different reports that come in. Reports that are unarmed robberies, change to larceny from a person. Those situations have happened. 
during the times I was in the record. They're being changed. They changed, and I'm driving to a larceny? Yes. What, what's the difference? A larceny is just uh, without It's just a dummy. It's a, it's a, a lower, it's a lower, um, it's, it's just a lesser crime. You know, unarmed robbery, look at that. Unarmed robbery, you get hysterical. How, how could you do that? Either the person has an arm or they, they don't. Well, the, 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 the fact that with, un, with unarmed robbery, you have to have some fear. With a larceny, it's just taking it and, run, and going. There's no fear on the victim. So those get looked at as a as a lesser crime. Uh, so what I what, what I'm saying is I'm doing I'm a police officer in the North End in the Tallman Street area, and they are frustrated. They are frustrated, and it has to do with a lot with the numbers. The numbers are the staffing in the police department needs to increase. It needs to increase because there's an abundance of reports being. Uh, that are being produced, and, and we're, we're doing all we can on certain investigations. What happens is, as you're doing reports, it also occupies the officer. The numbers are low. They should be around 288, close to 300 in this city. The number of officers employed by the department. And if those numbers are high, what happens is you can do more things. You can do more proactive things. Right now, we want to do proactive things. A lot of people want to do those proactive moves to make our community safer. However, you, you don't have the numbers to continue to do it. There's some, uh, some equipment issues that we need to address. Um, some officers could be able to, especially me, if I have a working computer in my, my cruiser, I could do a lot of intelligence right there on my own. Sometimes it's not, it's not accessible. And when it's down three, four days, maybe three, four weeks, that's a problem because you're, you're killing the intelligence of the officer behind the wheel or behind that computer. There's a lot of things we can do on our own. But what happens is when we're looking for that intelligence, we have to get on the phone and bug someone else. If I want a job done, I want to do it on my own so I can make sure that it's done from A to Z. If you start relying on other people to do things, sometimes they may go A to W and not go a little bit further. So that's why it's, it's better to have that equipment. But the numbers are low in the city with the police department and they need to increase. So things that we are all talking about can get in, in, enrolled in place. We can make people feel safer along Tallman Street and in all the other different areas in the city. And like the mayor said, it's not just Tallman Street. There's different areas that we have to focus on and we have we can do that with better numbers. That's it. So, Mr. Perry, just make a number of statements. Of one that struck me was that um, armed robberies being reclassified down to larcenies. That seems like a very serious thing to to be misrepresenting what kind of crime has taken place. And he's also touched upon the fact that the full complement of officers is not hired. Uh, some of the other candidates have said that during this campaign that the city has has. Uh, has positions that are not filled and have not been replaced. Yeah, so there are a couple of things to, uh, to, uh, to address there. Uh, so let me, let me try to do them in order. Um, you know, with, with classification of crimes according to the FBI decisions, the, the police department plugs them into the, into the categories the FBI, the FBI provides. Uh, there's a, as I understand, I'm not that close to it, but as I understand, the FBI provides uh, you know, definitions for every category, and it's a matter of manually just 
putting them in. That's and no reason to think that that's not happening. Um, the other thing, so you mentioned uh, numbers. Yeah, I, I think everybody is for more police on the street. Um, there is no no doubt about it. Um, you know, we do have to pay for that. So uh, we're at a complement right now. We've had a force strength right now of 249 officers. I'd love to see if, guess, get up to the full complement uh, post 2008, which is about 268 officers. But know that that 19 additional officers would would cost the city, you know, well over a million dollars every year uh, in its budget. So. Um, you know, we've got to find a way to navigate as we do with every department, school department, fire, police, everywhere, how we pay for things, right? So One uh, I think the, oh, a minute's up, Jack. So I'll just complete the thought. We, um, so our, our job is to, uh, you know, to continue to get folks in the academy. One of the things that the, that the chief is working on is establishing a new Bedford Academy. We, we ordinarily send uh, our cadets out of town. We think we can get more uh, police on the street faster and more readily and cheaply uh, if we have our own academy, which is something that uh, I think we'll, we'll be able to do within the next year. Okay. And we're back to your turn, Charlie, to go first. Um, Health care, pensions for city employees, and the cost of school turnarounds for the troubled school system have put pressure on property taxes, but you have said you're opposed to giving the mayor leverage against the unions with the state's group insurance commission plan. And you haven't said whether you would commit fully to fully fund the state's net school spending for the schools. How can you both lower taxes and protect reasonable benefits for city employees in the school system at the same time? Have you sided with the city employees more than the city taxpayers? Uh, no, not at all. I, uh, I think of it all as a whole. Um, one of the things that, um, that we have generated we can generate money on a daily basis, on an hourly basis, just by our services through EMS. EMS provides a lot of money. Whether you're transporting someone here or there, what it is, it triggers money to the city. And that money is, 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 is in the millions. We need to use some of that money to, to offset some of the things that we have, uh, to, to reduce the taxes, to take some of that burden off the residents and also help with, with with maybe the schools, you know. Say $5 million to generate in one year. Well, you take a million here, a million there, kind of shuffle it all over to, to the school department to the give people a tax break. The revenue's there, there's $5 million out there. We're so transporting people every every hour. So you're committing to meeting the, the state's net school spending, whether it raises the property taxes or not? Well, you know, the, the, the school, the, the school, budget needs to be met because it's a cry out that we want our kids to get educated. So we need to do all we can to get that accomplished. All right, Education is number one. There's no one in this room that would say no to this. So we have to do that. Without a doubt, I want my grandchildren to grow up and I want every child in the school department to, to, um, to get the best education. So the state provides us with money. We have to get on it. We have to get that money. And we can also assist with the educational system. Instead of giving 15, 20% every budget, you know, let's give a little bit more sometimes. Okay. So the Group Health Insurance Commission plan, which is the plan that many state employees have, uh, uh, the sheriff's employees have that. that, that's not as rich as the city plan. The city workers pay less to their benefits 
than, than they do. The private sector uh, city employees pay less than uh, many uh, people in the private sector do. Why, why should that, that cost has to be passed on to the taxpayers? Why should the city employees get better health insurance with, with lower contributions than, than the private sector or the state? Well, the GIC program is, is just not something that um, that we accept as the as the as a city body. All right, it's not something that we would like that things to be maintained at 80, 20 percent. Um, there's options out there that were available for the city to jump on. You know, colonial life, we didn't jump on it. The mayor refused to jump on that. It's offered to the New Bedford Housing Authority. Ninety-eight percent of the people there have that. They have colonial life, and they're very happy with it. New Bedford Volk has it. Those things could cut down a cost and give us 23% probably savings right off the bat. So those things we have to look at, you know, to get think of innovative ways to, to accomplish things and go after those things. So it will loosen the burden on the taxpayers. If we're saving it with the insurance, just like we're talking about now, 75% will save for the taxpayers. Well, there are things to leave it just like it is. You have to think out the box and look into things like colonial life and get those numbers. It will give us a 23% savings. Thank you, Charlie. Mayor Mitchell, you haven't been able to persuade the City Council to go along with your um, proposal on the Group Insurance Commission plan. They said you didn't give them enough time to consider it, that you didn't um, uh, uh, bring in the, the unions and the city employees enough. You also have not been able to persuade the state delegation, our own legislative delegation, to propose something to uh, get control of pension costs and things like that. So why, why shouldn't someone who might be better at persuading the city council or the state legislative delegation to move your initiatives? You know, I, think, I think city taxpayers are going to persuade everybody that these measures are necessary, Jack. So let me just say a couple of things uh, and then I'll re about uh, just to, so that people aren't uh, confused by some of the comments. So um, the, the EMS revenue, so that comes in, uh, EMS being the ambulance service, the city's ambulance services. Uh, we get about five or six million dollars a year. Uh, that's a lot more than uh, we used to get. Um, and uh, that money's spent. That money doesn't sit in a fund. It is spent on all the things that you talk about. So it's not as though we can draw more from, from that that source. Uh, we can put more ambulances out there, we might get a little bit more revenue, but we're pretty much tapped out on that. Um, yeah, unfortunately, I wish it weren't so, but we've been successful in, uh, in uh, relieving taxpayers of that burden, of the burden of two or three more million dollars because we've run more ambulances than we've had in the last few years. As far as colonial life goes, that's life insurance is a minuscule part of the budget and it will not save 23% of health care costs or any other form of insurance, uh, we put those things out to bid. We put it out to the lowest bidder. So I can't remember who we have right now, but they're, they're actually, they actually cost less than Colonial. Um, to your point about, um, about taxes and about health care, um, you know, this city, let me just say, this city's finances, have, and I said it before, uh, have never been better managed. The city plans better, the city has, uh, than it ever has, it never used to do Never used to project how much uh, our budget would cost two or three years out. We do all that now. There's capital planning, and, and uh, that allows us to buy the two um, fire uh, engines that we just uh, did a press conference on today, and, and much more to buy more uh, more cruisers for the 
police department, more ambulances, as I, I said, all these things are built in because we plan better. And the city's bond rating is now the highest in its history, which is a huge achievement. Uh, but we've reached a point where, you know, despite the growth in the economy, we're having quite a time with keeping up with pension and health care costs, which are costs that we have very little control over because of decisions that the city made years ago not to contribute to pensions, as well as the generosity of that eligibility, the eligibility rules at the state level. Um, so we've got to do something about it. Uh, what we want to do is to, to do exactly what every community in southern Bristol County has done, uh, except for Westport, and which is to give the city the ability to go to an arbitrator if the union doesn't, the unions don't agree on health care benefits. Right now, if the union doesn't like um, what we want to do in the way of health care uh, benefits, it can just say no and walk away. And that's, that's what's happened. We've been at this for over a year dealing with uh, the Public Employee Committee, which is comprised of representatives of all the municipal unions, to try to get some control over costs, which are projected to go up by just under 10%, uh, 9.8% uh, in FY uh, 2018, which is the fiscal year we're in right now. It's unsustainable. It's growing, and so you know, I'm in the details now. What, I'll, what people should know is this. If healthcare costs continue to grow at the rate they're growing, we're going to have to deal with it by not being able to put more police officers on the street, by, by not being able to give the schools what they need, by raising taxes. I don't want to do that, and that's why I pushed municipal health care reform. It's, it's not, a novel, it's not a, a novel thing. It's not unusual. As I said, if you look at all the surrounding communities, Dartmouth, Freetown, uh, not, not Freetown, the, uh, the school district in Freetown, Fairhaven, Cushnet, Somerset, Fall River, they've all done it. So why can't New Bedford do it? We need to do it, and the only reason we're not doing it is because the unions have said no, and the, and the city council backed off as a result. The first thing I'm going to do on January 1st is to reintroduce it because that's the primary way we can relieve taxpayers of this massive burden. The mayor says the city is better fiscally uh, managed than it ever has, and that the, the problem is that this would just put too much uh, pressure on property taxes. How can you uh, deliver this uh, very top-rate health care plan and, as you said, commit to the schools uh, without um, raising taxes yourself? Well, one thing I would do is you, you keep Blue Cross Blue Shield in place. You add colonial life, just like it is at the Housing Authority. It's already working. When you compare the New Bedford to all the different towns, um, guess what? They're little towns, smaller. New Bedford is the fourth largest uh, city in the, in, the, in, the, in the state. We already have a strong base. We have large a large amount of employees. We can create the program that we have with Blue Cross and Colonial Life, we can do that here and save each other, save the employees' money, the city money, so on and so forth. It can happen. The problem I have with the DIC is um, how do we exit it? How do we get out of that if we don't like it? How do we get out of the GIC? How is it possible? I don't think we can get out of that. Once it's in place, there's no other options later on. So I have uh, one last question. We've been going pretty fast, so you guys are, are very uh, concise tonight. Uh, this, we had you can add more if you want. <laughs> I'll give you a closing statement. <laughs> yeah, okay. uh, I have one last question, but I have an uneven number of questions. So I'm just going to give this question, and whoever wants to go first can go first, and the other person will go last. Uh, go second. 
The school system has made progress on turnaround plans, but there is a long way to go. Some candidates this year have called for the legislative delegation to remove the state from a role in the school system. Others have said that the reform plan is a good thing uh, if New Bedford is ever going to be competitive in the modern economy. Where do you guys come down? Does the state have a role to play in standards for the New Bedford school system, or should it be just left up to the school committee, local administration, and the, and the teachers' unions? Jump off. I'll do it. The state always has to be in place. The state needs to be in place. Everyone needs to have someone overlooking them and overseeing things. It's very important that we keep that in place. It's the reason why we are America. It always has to have someone that's overlooking what's going on. Can't have people just going, doing things as they wish, so on and so forth. I do question the leadership in the school department, which that would change. Um, and the state are the ones that had confidence in Pia Durkin and put her in there. If the state didn't have a role, she wouldn't be there. Oh, I can. The, the state's in Boston. Right? This is New Bedford. It needed to have some, a lot of people in New Bedford making that selection. Okay, what goes on in Boston in the area in the cities up there is what they chose to do. And I think that Boston may be a little out of touch with New Bedford. So, uh, with that case, I mean, she came, she tried it, and in my opinion, she's failing. What about that? Should the state have a role in the New Bedford school system? Just today, we found out that another administrator is leaving the Parker School. Uh, many of them, some of them have said that they find uh, Dr. Durkin difficult to work with. Should the state uh, have this role in our school system? Well, um, so let me just say a couple of things. I think if you've asked a number of questions, let me see if I can address them uh, this way. So, you know, the, the school system when I got into office was a mess. So it, it was already under state monitoring when I got in. It was threatened with state takeover. And there were a lot of people in this city uh, and the surrounding area who said, just let them take it over, take it away, wash your hands of it. And I, I thought that that was just unacceptable. I think it would have resulted in a big black eye in the city. And uh, I thought that our kids deserved a lot better than this to turn over um, our, our schools to a bunch of Boston bureaucrats. I think Charlie's right that, that Boston is usually pretty out of touch with New Bedford. Um, but uh, so we, we took it on, uh, on our own. And because uh, our kids didn't deserve to hear excuses from the adults. And that's, so that's what I've committed to, both as the, the mayor and as a parent of school children uh, in our system. And so what, what we've seen over the years is, first, on, on the one hand, a school system in 2011 when I got in that, you know, where the budget was as clear as mud, where principals weren't being evaluated, where the personnel department uh, was managed with three-by-five cards, uh, 1950s style and where nobody really understood their roles. Uh, it was completely dysfunctional. To now, when just this summer the state said, you know what, this is a completely different district than it was in 2011. That was the, the words of the DESE representative at the school committee meeting, not my words. And the reason for that is a lot has changed. The basics have changed. It's, uh, and so now we've got a, a, a dropout rate that's gone from 55% to over 70%. The test scores are going up. Just today, 
Uh, New Bedford High School was accredited by, uh, by NEASC, which is the accrediting authority for all high schools in New England. That's a really big deal, and it would, never would have happened three years ago. Never, not even close. So do we, do we have more work to do? Yeah, uh, and has it been hard? Absolutely, it's been hard, and uh, there have been lots of ruffled feathers. I get it, I see it up front, both as a parent and as mayor, but you know what? So a lot of these things had to happen in order for us to continue to build. We've reached a point now where the state has backed off, it's monitoring the whole district, and where the high school just got accredited work. We're going to need to start to fly the plane on our own and not be in compliance mode. We've been in compliance mode with the state for the last few years, for the most part. And we've got to take it on, we have to establish our own vision. We've got to turn the page and say, you know what? Uh, we, we have to do it for our kids sustainably over the long run and we have to work we can't go back to the old ways pre 2012 before I got here in which you know anything anything went we complained about MCAS we complained about a whole host of things without dealing with the problem right in front of us so we've reached a point now regardless of who the superintendent is in the long run where, where we as a community have to have to embrace the idea that our future depends on our kids and our kids future depends on the quality of the education that we offer them that's, that's our goal in the next few years, and that's what I'm committed to. Charlie, um, the mayor says uh, the school system has made a lot of progress. The schools the scores aren't that much better, but they have uh, gotten the state's confidence. The state has given them uh, uh, backed off, and they've won accreditation. Uh, so why shouldn't Dr. Durkin get some credit for that? Well, because, I mean, talk about the report and get accreditation. There's still some students that are left out. So that accreditation, those improvements, it, it needs to encompass 100% of the students at the high school, whether it be spread, special needs, the ELA, all that stuff. That needs to come into place and make sure that we're providing a better education for those students, those students that are declining or have a deficiency. So um, we have to make sure that when, when people are given accreditation, we want to make sure that it's for everyone that's within the school system that's enrolled in the high school and that they're count, getting counted for. Um, and that's my opinion. Um, I, I definitely, you know, with me and, and the state trying to come over and come into our city and take over our school system, that's a no-no. I would have kind of put my feet in the, to the ground and definitely said, no, no, um, I'm not going to just give somebody something. That's not something we do in New Bedford. We're not going to give up and give and just cowardly turn over what we have here. So I would definitely took that on too and made sure that we get things in place and we do this on our own. And uh, that's really about it. Okay. So I'd like to offer you both a, a chance for a closing statement um, since we've gone so quickly tonight. Uh, uh, I think the mayor went first in the beginning, so I'll have to let you go first. At this time, say whatever you want for a couple minutes, uh, you know, about your campaign. Okay. I, I ran because I thought we needed a change. Change in public safety, change in infrastructure work. I pointed out that we needed work to be done on County Street. It's now getting done. Someone followed my lead and it got done. What I'm getting at is that it takes a person to speak up when they need things done and change. I'm the person that likes to speak up. I will speak up. 
and continue to speak up for the residents of New Bedford. Also the school department. I think we definitely need a leadership change. We need a leadership change. We need to talk about the schools and also talk about outside the schools with the youth. The youth need a place to go. We need to provide better opportunities or sort of different venues so they can go um, to hang out. Instead of hanging out on the street, we need to provide, provide those facilities so we can get the kids off the street. Um, I also want to talk about opio opioid addiction and, and epidemic. We have to address that. And the way we address that is to put a department head in place of the health department. Right? We had money given to us from the state, approximately $80,000. The state took it back from us because it wasn't being used. I would use that money that the state offers us and make sure that I'm speaking to people with those addictions hand in hand. I'm going to pledge to New Bedford that I will talk about and I will confront the homelessness face to face with everyone that is homeless, with a team of players so we can go out and meet these people and do that. We have a task force in place, got to tweak it a little bit. Those are the things I want to do. Taxes are raising. They're going to continue to raise in 2018. I got to find a way, we got to find a way together to make, give you guys a break. And I'm the man that can't do that. Thank you. Thank you, and Mayor Mitchell, two minutes. Uh, why do people uh, be elected and why do you want to be elected? Well, thanks for having me, Jack, and uh, thank you, Officer Perry, for a really great discussion. Thank um, you, sir. And uh, I, I just uh, want to say that uh, it's, it has been a very uh, uh, personal privilege of mine to be the mayor over the last several years. Uh, I ran for mayor because uh, I believe that all the hot air and empty talk that we see in American politics today shouldn't happen in, in New Bedford, at least in New Bedford. And I take great pride in the fact that um, uh, my administration has done precisely what uh, I said it would do when I first ran for office. When I first ran for office, uh, people needed jobs. There were too many people out of work, an unemployment rate of 13%. So we put together a sound strategy and got to work. Now, uh, the unemployment rate as of this week is 6.1%. We've added 5,000 jobs to the city. Uh, by any measure, it has been a huge success. And not all the doing of city government, but certainly part of it, because this is a place where people feel confident investing and creating jobs, and that we're going to continue to do just that. I said that uh, we would need to stabilize city finances, because as I alluded to before, they weren't well managed. They are better managed than they've ever been in the city, more transparently than ever. And don't take my word for it, the city's Wall Street bond rating is the highest now in its history, and the city just won an award for its budget. I said that we would improve parks and uh, neighborhood facilities so that our, our uh, every one of our neighborhoods could have a place to go uh, to enjoy city life. And that's what we've done. We've built the Harbor Walk and the Cove Walk. We've built new parks all up and down the city. We've made major upgrades to all of our parks, all of our major parks in the city. And we continue to do that because that's what makes, that's, makes city living uh, more appealing. We want to do that because you deserve it. Uh, we said that uh, we would take on the problems in our school system, knowing that they wouldn't be easy. But we've done that. We haven't run away from it. As mayor, uh, my job is to confront the problems and to seize the challenges. And that was no less true uh, in, the, in the school department, where we've made progress. We are still building 
uh, a school department now. It takes time. We knew from the beginning it would take time. It takes time. But we also know that our kids deserve our very best, and that's what we're, we're doing right now. And we're, just, we're seeing, even as of today, uh, accreditation for our high school, reaccreditation. Re we're seeing test scores go up. And we're seeing a dropout rate uh, come drop a great deal. And we're also seeing that the state has, has said, you know what, you don't need to be monitored anymore. And that's a big step. More to come, but I'm committed to making sure that every kid gets a, gets a great education uh, in our city. Uh, there are challenges out there. There are neighborhoods, as we talked about before, that, that need work in terms of public safety, and we're going to be taking steps to, to, to get after it. The same goes with the city's finances. I proposed a way forward to, to relieve taxpayers of, uh, of the burden of, of rising health care costs. Everybody else is running away from that. I'm not, and when I get sworn in, the first thing I'm going to do is to repropose that to the city council. Whatever the challenges are in our city, you know, we're not running away from them. That's what you've gotten from me as mayor. You've gotten someone who has kept the city's interest first and foremost in his mind and has tried uh, very hard to assemble a, a very competent team who uh, works day and night to make the city a better place. We're going to continue to build New Bedford, and I ask for your vote on November 7th so that we can keep it all going. Thank you very much. I want to thank you both for a very respectful thank civil you. debate. I hope this has been helpful to the citizens of New Bedford. I'm a citizen of New Bedford, and I hope you'll go out and vote on November 7th.